0: mm <laughs> Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. You're watching
1: High Tea with Grace. I'm super excited today to spill the tea on HIT with Effie Parks. She is founder of the Once Upon a Gene podcast and community for rare disease patients and caregivers. Welcome, Effie. Good morning, Grace. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm so excited to have you. You know, you're one of my favorite people in the whole industry. And you know, I'm not even exaggerating when I say that. I
2: was like, yay, just another
1: excuse to hang out. Let's do a
2: podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Always sounds good to me. So tell us all a little bit about
2: yourself um, and your neck of the
1: healthcare ecosphere.
2: Sure. Uh, So I live in Seattle, Washington with my husband and my two kiddos, my five-year-old son, Ford was born with a rare disease, something called CTNNB1. Uh, When he was diagnosed, he was one in 30 in the world. We now have identified almost 300 patients worldwide. So with access to genetic testing, it's definitely growing in numbers, which is great. Um, But yeah, an introduction to motherhood uh, like that was something I never expected. It was traumatic. It was isolating. It was like the world kind of collapsed, you know? It was it was a big shock and it became just, you know, as time went on, as I saw the gaps between my kid and my friend's kids and my family's kids, the isolation just really grew, um, which is something that's so commonplace in the world of rare diseases. Uh, so at some point, you know, I just—I almost didn't recognize myself anymore. Yeah, I'm—I'm I'm a happy person. I'm a fun person. I like to look at things uh, with the glass half full, and I just wasn't feeling like that anymore. And I knew I had to do something about it. So, you spend a lot of time in the car as as a parent taking your kid to the doctor. Oh, you and multiple I multiple times a week. Very well. yeah. yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and I found. I just searched for everything I could, disability, rare disease, diagnosis, and I found about five podcasts and they became a lifeline to me. And they dried up quick. you know. After a couple of weeks, they were gone. And I just knew I had to be a part of that conversation and I had to reach other parents that resonated more with me and find my people because I just really didn't like how I felt and I didn't like where things were going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's
1: amazing. Um, like, what have you found to be the largest benefit to folks in the rare disease community having that regular podcast and that community where they can connect? Do you feel like it's it's the connection they have with each other, the strength they get from vulnerability and community? You know, what do you find to be the kind of the biggest benefit to
2: those folks? all of everything that you just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, but number one, the thing I'm hitting so hard on is the isolation factor. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody understands what your day-to-day is like. Nobody nobody gets it. You can't relate to anyone. Um, and you're also dealing with the sadness and the grief and the worry on top of it all. And when you can find someone else who gets your day to day who understands this new jargon that you're using without mm-hmm. having to explain it and without having to emotionally unload it is everything yeah. you know it's being seen for the first time in a completely unknown <laughs> land and yeah. that's huge when somebody can come come and see who you are and see what you're doing and just know how your day to day is without any questions, like that's when you can kind of take a breath, come up, relax your shoulders and figure out what you're going to do. Yeah.
1: And it always seems like, I think, you know, in the industry, in the digital health industry in particular, it seems that there's, you know, a ton of emphasis on the patient voice lately and getting that patient voice, but the rare disease voice is often left out. You know, what is, how does that make you feel? You know, what do you, what benefits do you think having that rare disease community's voice might have to, you know, innovations that are happening in the industry right now?
2: If you're not tapping into rare disease, like what are you even doing? I mean, over seven thousand rare diseases, one in ten people actually have a rare disease. Wow. Like sure, we might be n of one spread out all over the place, but like someone you know has a rare disease. Like mm-hmm. we're everywhere. It's not wow. as rare as the word. Like some people don't even want to call it rare disease anymore because mm-hmm. it kind of sets us apart even more so. True. Um, yeah, so you know, maybe that maybe that language will change. Because it is something else that makes people go, ooh, you know, maybe there isn't enough money in that. Or maybe there isn't enough science in that. When actually, like, it's it's booming in so many yeah. areas. You know, like, science is moving at an insane rate. And the internet and just the ability to connect with people all over the world and share these stories and share these, uh, you know, lists of symptoms and all the things, like, it's incredible. Yeah. And you can't not pay attention to it. Yeah. What do you think that
1: people could do to, to amplify that message and to, to kind of find out more about it? Do you feel like there is this kind of social swell just waiting to happen right now?
2: I mean, I definitely see it happening, especially since COVID when everything became digital, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it really brought so many things together and it broke down a lot of barriers like even just with you know being able to not have to take my kid to the doctor every day and pack up all of his equipment and all of that stuff like certain things that maybe you could keep home joining clinical trials that you used to have to like maybe quit your job for fly across the country for break up your family for like restrictions on a lot of things like that have lessened and they should because yeah. it's too rigid. And especially if you want to include the rare community, like there has, there has to be another way.
1: That's true. And even the rare community knowing about clinical trials in the past, you know, maybe an academic you know, institution put it out in a newspaper or something in the local area. And and now all of a sudden it's it's on social and they're being more targeted on these communities. And so even the access to even knowing what's out
2: there is also probably increasing because of social. Totally. And things like podcasts and other media mediums like families like me are talking, you know, Uh, super motivated parents who are the ones making the advocacy groups and helping to push forward science who are also just parents. Like they're Mm -hmm. doing all of this stuff and they're talking about it. It's not like just this being in the sky that might be hopefully taking care of something for you. Like they are in the trenches. They are the parents and the families of the parents, like doing all of this work. They're teaching themselves the science and Like, it's amazing and it's so inspiring. And I think when you can actually connect their face, their voice, and hear their story, and not just maybe see an article about it, but realize Mm -hmm. it's your neighbor. Yeah. I mean, it can do so much by just people talking about it and it being more visible, like on social media, like you said.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, what are better ways that digital health could even include? The patient voice, the rare community voice, and you know, you mentioned clinical trials. That's huge, obviously, including that experience and being a part of those. Um, what do you what do you think about drug development, or you know, create, you know, having that patient voice and that rare voice included in other types
2: of of innovations? Well, like you said, I mean, that's something that's definitely a buzz right now, right? Like it's trending, yeah. which is which is awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that most doctors and clinicians and researchers are absolutely on board with that too. You know, like it's not like the silos of everything is really helping anyone, you know? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, it's just not. Yeah. And I just really feel like the patients have just as much to bring to the table as anyone else. They're the ones living it day to day, especially in these rare disease worlds, right? Like mm-hmm. they actually know about it. You might have read one paper on it. They know 20 other people in the community who are dealing with the same things. They know what medications everyone's taking, they know what the, what the, side effects are from these, they know what's actually important to them when something does work. Whereas maybe the doctor's like, Oh no, that side effect, that's no good. You can't take it anymore. But maybe it helped that person be able to like get up in the morning and make their own coffee. And that was life-changing. Yeah. Maybe it causes headaches. Like what if they don't care about that? They just Mm -hmm. got to be independent and do something for themselves. And I think when patients get to say those things like, Hey, this matters to me, this matters to my day-to-day then the conversation can start. Yeah,
1: absolutely. A thousand percent. I think you're right. You know, that's when the conversations can really start. And, you know, what should should companies that are thinking about including the rare disease voice, what should they do to, to compensate these patients? You know, I think a lot of the times patients' perspectives are Expected to be doled out for free, (laughs) you know. In many ways, and you know, I'm wondering, you know, what what are things that they need to keep in mind if they're
2: they're hoping
1: to include that rare patient voice.
2: You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of friction in that topic of whether patients and advocacy groups should be compensated for their time, which I feel like absolutely, especially if they're adding value to something. you know, in a professional setting, I do think, as a patient, as like a parent, me personally, yeah. like, mm-hmm. if if an amazing company like Global Jeans wants me to share something, I'm not gonna not do it because I'm not getting paid because it yes, means so much true. to me, mm-hmm. and it, you know, it's gonna help maybe one parent or whatever it is. Like, I'm not so necessarily like tied up in the matter of like I want to be compensated to mm-hmm. be an advocate. But I understand that and I understand that these patients and their voices should not be used and they shouldn't just be included to check a box Mm -hmm. um, and that they absolutely are part of the team and they should be compensated. I just think that for different things and different reasons of why you would maybe participate that I wouldn't necessarily say that you should always have to pay them or you shouldn't take a thing unless you are paid, which like I said, isn't, isn't agreed upon in this, in this world. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, that's just my personal, like how I move through it. Um, yeah, and so, I think that makes a lot of sense because
1: we're also, I think, in this season, you know, trying to prove this value as well. And as they're seeing the value, it'll increase in their mind. And like you said, not just be a checked box totally. and not just be, OK, we got that done. You know, we, we asked a few patients what they thought, but really saying, OK, this is this impacts your everyday and this is we value that you're taking time from potentially finding the answer to your diagnosis to help us. And thank you for that, you know, and, and, you know, letting people know obviously about important resources out there, but also
2: companies understanding that there's value here. (laughs) There is, there's value there. Should they be paid? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Can you also come at it as a form of service? Yes. Mm, Yeah. And I don't think that you're muddying the waters by doing that and taking, taking that, um, taking that away from the advocacy voice or the patient voice, as long as your intention is, is correct.
1: Yeah. I totally agree with you on that. I really agree with you. So tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the topics that you've been covering lately on the podcast.
2: Oh my God, Grace. Okay. So I have, you know, I started this knowing zero about healthcare, about rare disease. I never went to the doctor in my life. So when I started this podcast, I did it to learn. I did it to make sure that the next parent's exposure to this wasn't as rocky as mine was. Uh, So I literally everything I ever have a problem with, I'm like, I got to get a guest on that. Everything I have have people message me about, I I get someone on it. So like I cover things from just patient stories uh Mm -hmm. we cover things about grief we cover things about what's best to pack in your hospital bag when your kid's impatient for a long time
1: true yeah
2: yeah Mm -hmm. we talk about mental health emotional well-being self-care uh we talk about i mean there's just so much to our day-to-day we talk about friendships we -hmm. talk about inclusion we talk about disability in general like this is a world that my generation wasn't really exposed to yet still. like I didn't go to school with kids who had disabilities. They were walked in the halls when we were in class. Uh, I didn't grow up with anyone like my son. So sure, I'm a regular human being who has manners and I care and I'm empathetic, but like I don't know. I don't know what (laughs) anyone who has been going through and what they've been dealing with because... Quite frankly, disability was something that was kind of hush-hush and kind of hidden. And if I'm gonna bring up like the most amazing kid, like I have to make sure that it wasn't like that. So I have to be a part of Mm -hmm. changing that. And parents like me are just constantly learning and we're learning from each other and we're learning from the disability community Mm -hmm. because like things have got to change. Like needs a rebranding, it's 2021. And like adults still like are so uncomfortable around a five-year-old in a wheelchair sometimes. It's just... Yeah. there's no reason for
1: it. And, you know, they're the same as you. It's just <laughs> there. But in many ways, there's the struggles they have are make them stronger than you. So, may, you know, maybe instead of rare disease, it should be stronger than you disease patient Seriously. person because of all, you know, all their they have to go through. But it's not... It's not a disability. Their 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 difficulties are in many ways something that's making them stronger than any of us, you know. And it's yeah. just incredible.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I got like veered off from your question, but yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we talk about advocacy groups a lot. Like parents who get these diagnoses are like, "Oh my gosh, there's only thirty other patients. What do I do?" So you know, we have topics on how to make your advocacy group, how to. Like, get a board, how to fundraise, how to find researchers who want to study your gene. Like, we're doing everything over at Once Upon a Gene.
1: Like, it sounds like it. Wow, that's
2: amazing. Well, there's so many parents who are just like, they blow my mind every day. I'm like, I'm so, I'm sorry, but I'm so glad you yeah. have a rare disease kid because we need your brain.
1: Yeah, incredible. And I can't imagine just that moment. When, you know, similar to what you had when they figured out what this is and that it was a rare disease and, oh, my God, I'm alone in this. And then looking you up and finding you and you being to them exactly what you needed, which is just so
2: powerful. It's amazing. I mean, one of those podcasts, I always have to shout them out It that I found when I was like in the trenches and when I was just horribly sad. Uh, was a podcast called The Two Disabled Dudes. It uh, That is a great name. I they're literally <laughs> the best. Everyone go follow and subscribe. There are two dudes uh, who both have Friedrich's ataxia and their podcast is fun and beautiful and smart and witty. And they just give each other crap the whole time. And, you know, they're the patients. They're not parents raising a kid, but like mm-hmm. I found connection for the very first time yeah, through their podcast And like, they brought like light and hope and like made me stop being so scared that my son is disabled and his life is going to be ruined because I was listening to these two guys who are just the most amazing people I've ever known. And that is when I was like, oh my gosh, like you don't have to be the same as me to understand me. Like Mm -hmm. you don't have to have, you don't have to be a mom of a kid with a rare disease. Like Mm -hmm. that's, what's beautiful about the rare disease community is that they just all get it. And there are people like them who are out there, you know, Talking about living beyond your circumstances and it was just like the light that I needed at that time and they're now very good friends of mine but like back then when I'm like crying and washing the dishes and listening to these guys like I couldn't imagine that it was going to be the thing that pulled me out and then that I was going to be able to talk to them every day. Mm. Um and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to make a podcast that was contributing to that, to finding that mom in the car who mm-hmm. doesn't want to go inside because, you know, she just got horrible news or she's just depressed in general over
1: mm-hmm.
2: everything that's going on. Because like the sooner you can find people who who get it, the sooner you can do something about it, the sooner you can find hope, the sooner you can go raise money for your kid or mm-hmm. go change laws or... Do whatever is by finally hearing someone else, right? And feeling seen.
1: Yeah, it's so powerful. Just that community and the light at the end of the tunnel that that community can bring. It's fantastic, especially when you're going through such, so much, so much. Um, You know, when you're working with doctors and you're, you know, working with physicians, you know, what do you find to be the most helpful for you? Um, Just from a, like a logistic standpoint in terms of like, you know, managing everything, do you feel like it's, it's, you need their emotional support? Do you feel like it's helpful for them to have tools that, that, you know, are, are, make it easy for you as a parent to manage the condition? You know, just kind of speaking from a mother's standpoint from, you know, being right, in the throes of it, you know, what do you find to be the most useful for you in terms of, you know, using technology to help manage the condition?
2: It is pretty broken, honestly. It's not really that helpful. Other parents are the most helpful because they arm you with what questions to ask and what not to leave without. You know, like our medical records aren't shared, like the legwork that I have to do to get one doctor to look at something else that Ford just did, Mm -hmm. Um, the the disconnect in just communication along our healthcare stuff is just, I had no idea that this doctor wouldn't talk to this doctor and that they just wouldn't have all of his records. Like that stuff is true and it's horrible and it makes parents... I mean they're they're drowning yeah. and they don't know they don't know what questions to ask and doctors have a limited time right to be able to be with your with each patient they're busy and I wouldn't say that anything is really that helpful because it's broken I think one thing that should be provided that would be extra helpful to every parent mm-hmm. like myself is just automatically getting enrolled in something like palliative care Like Mm. that is when the doctors will talk to each other, right? And that you'll have an advocate for you, making sure that the decisions that you're making are the ones you actually want to make. Mm. And they kind of help coordinate that care, but you have to get that approved. You have to get that paid for, uh, mm-hmm. Not everybody knows it exists. Sometimes. Yeah. It's not what is palliative care? What is that? It's basically a nice, fuzzy, warm blanket <laughs> that helps guide you through all of your medical appointments and really takes into account like what's best for your family. Like, is mm-hmm. it best for your family that your kid has this procedure or this procedure right now? Or, I mean, so many things. They help you deal with the scheduling and they help the doctors communicate and they make sure all of that is just in one nice little package. And they really help, they really help carry the entire team, Um, which is something that you need, especially since most of us aren't exposed to the medical world and Mm -hmm. we're dealing with a sick kid and we're trying to find cures and we're trying to raise money and we're trying to be normal. And I want to watch a Netflix show. Like Mm there's so much that goes into it and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of tech that is really working right now yeah um to make to make your doctor's appointments easier to make mm-hmm. any of that easier so i wish that i could say oh this is so amazing but like yeah. nothing has been amazing it it's sounds been like hard it's just
1: disjointed hard nothing's explained well, the palliative care kind of brings some of it together to help you coordinate it all, but it's, it's not tech savvy. It's just people and helpful information
2: savvy. Yeah. I mean, even just, you know, Ford has had a chronic lung infection Mm -hmm. and his pulmonologist needed to see a scan that we had when we were out of town in a different state. And like, why can't you just get that? I had to call the administration. I had to sign a bunch of papers. I had to send a fax. They then emailed me, or not emailed me, mailed me a CD that I then had to drive an hour to my doctor to have. Like, couldn't the doctor just get that information? You have my HIPAA thing signed. Like, also, can we get it electronically? Like, why are we mailing a CD and then having me drive it to the doctor's (laughs) office? Like, that's real life. That's what we're doing. Wow. And... The fact that like all of our medical records just aren't digitized in one place where they can be seen by all of Ford's doctors and clinicians is really mind blowing that that isn't something that's commonplace yet.
1: Yeah. That is absolutely terrible and incredible. It's incredible.
2: I will say that I do have amazing doctors and on Ford's team now but that took a lot of that took a lot of um learn that was a learning curve you know i had to learn that i could actually fire a doctor or move on and get a second opinion and also something i didn't really know about also something that i didn't think was respectful but you can do it and you have to do it and hopefully you are able to find a team that really does care about your kid and that reads a chart before you come into their appointment and maybe does a little search on their own about CT and mb one It's not like they're yes. going to have to dig deep. There's not a yeah. lot of info on mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. but it means so much to me when I go into an appointment and a doctor looked it up. Like mm. that means a lot to me. You when... would think
1: that would be the <laughs> at least what would happen. They would have at least
2: looked it up and you wouldn't have to teach them in the first Ugh. No, I would say that happened maybe like thirty percent of the time. Wow! Yeah. Were there um, any resources
1: that helped you find doctors? You know, I know your your community is a fantastic fantastic resource for people to connect other people with great doctors. But for you, you know, how how
2: did you find these doctors? I'm really lucky. I live in Seattle. We have a children's hospital. Uh, you know, mm. like that's it. I got lucky. Yeah. Uh, there are like Facebook groups that you can find. In all of your areas, I'm pretty sure where you can find parents like me and those parents are talking, right? And hopefully you find the good ones uh, that don't have that negative Facebook tone or aren't just people yammering on about things, but parents who are like, this place is great. This doctor's great. This speech therapist is great. So you get referrals from just like your local networks of parents. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, I have a giant, beautiful children's hospital that gives me a lot of options.
1: Yeah. That is beautiful. And it's true that it's a blessing to be in a, you know, a large city like that with a children's hospital. And you wonder what, what do people in rural communities do? What do they do when this happens? You know, when they find out they have a rare disease or their child has a rare disease, do they move?
2: Do they just rely on telehealth? Some of them move. Uh, Lots of them move. Depending on the needs of your kiddo, you have to be by a bigger hospital or, you know, it totally depends. Hopefully you're able to move. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, there are a lot of services in like a lot of the areas that I know are pretty rural where like my CT and MB1 families are. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say maybe they have the best care. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but they are getting at least what they need service wise with like therapies. Um, and I just hope they're getting what they need, but yeah, like, That's another problem, right? Yeah. What would be nice too is like if doctors could pass over like state lines with their licenses, right? Like I wish my friend Tara's kid could see our neurologist. Like Mm -hmm. why can't she? Like I wish that stuff wasn't a barrier where they could treat patients, especially when there's 30 of them. Yeah. Maybe one's in, you know, South Dakota, like what? And make can they have course? an appointment with you instead of flying to Seattle? Mm-hmm. That would be amazing.
1: Well, we'll put that on our rare patient <laughs> wish list. We yeah, should develop on one there. for this seriously and say this is our rare patient wish list. All right, America, make this happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, the rare disease life is—it's not for the faint of heart, and like it is hustling. Like everyone is hustling every day. Yeah, and. They're just amazing and they're so caring and, you know, they're getting stuff done. Like the, the parents that I have met through the rare disease world are some of the most brilliant and some of they're the people who are actually changing the world. Like Mm
1: -hmm.
2: it's amazing because nobody's been doing it for them. And that's what they'll tell you when your kids diagnosed the families, you know, it's like, nobody's going to do this for you. Nobody's Mm going to just study your gene randomly, like maybe, but you have to do it. You have to go figure it out. You have to blaze the trail. And that goes with everything from the doctors to the medical records to the appointment hunting. Like Mm -hmm. you have to figure it all out by yourself.
1: It's incredible. You know, with this just incredible feat that you have to, to, to work through day to day, just for some level of normalcy, you know, what are things that you do to keep peace for yourself? Um, you know, we are kind of talking about some of the mental health topics that you've talked through, like, you know, what are some things that really help with that?
2: So the podcast has actually been something that really breathes in a lot of energy for me, mm-hmm. uh, especially just meeting these people who like, make my cheeks hurt because they're so amazing. And that's been one thing of coping for me. Um, another really just silly thing I do that has had some of the largest impact on me is I have this big, huge magnet, like chalkboard on my fridge. And my sister told me to do this. I drew four oxygen tanks and she told me to put in each oxygen tank, what I had to do every single day, no matter what. Mm. Um, so I put in breathing, breathing. I had to learn how to breathe because I recognized I had anxiety for the first time. Uh, put, I put in eat something healthy. I drew pictures, so it's really pretty. Yeah. Um, drink water and go outside, and those are four things that, like, no matter what, Effie has to do. Or it's not, it's not great. I'm not going to get a lot done. I'm not going to feel good. I'm not going to have enough energy. Like, those are just things for me that Mm -hmm. really make a difference and that are a habit that I created years ago that made a huge difference, made a huge difference. And something about self-care is, I mean, it's the narrative on self-care also needs to change, especially for parents like us. Like Mm -hmm. one of my favorite therapists, her name's Rose Reef. She always talks about how self-care is boring. It's not pretty. It's not glossy. It's not fancy. It's the little tiny things that you make a habit of doing every single day, no matter what. And she, she correlates it to the toothbrush test. Like you would never leave your house without brushing your teeth. Like if your kids are being annoying and you're lost a shoe and you're doing all that, like you're still going to brush your teeth before you leave. Because if you don't, the ramifications of that are really going to suck. Yeah, and that's what self care is, right? So finding those. Things, I know people it's like,
1: think self care <laughs> is like go to the spa, I know. get your nails done, you know. Yeah, so, sleep twelve to fourteen
2: hours, whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. it's it's drinking water. And yeah, nourishing it's drinking water. It's and, finding yeah. the little mm-hmm. things that like make a big impact over time. It's maybe it's wearing a bright, beautiful lipstick because every time you catch yourself in the mirror, you're like. Oh my God. I love that. Like that is something that fills you up. Right. Yeah. And it might sound so little, but like, it's really not, it's really not, especially when you're dredging through some really tough stuff. Um, So I do that. That's like my thing that I like swear by Mm
1: -hmm.
2: my four oxygen tanks are full every single day. And those ones really mean a lot to me. Um, And then, yeah, I laugh. Like my kids are so cute. We just make sure to laugh at our house um ford has the best laugh in the world if you ever listen to my podcast mm-hmm. the episode ends with his laughter and like mm-hmm. you can't not snap out of whatever's happening when you laugh um yeah. so finding those moments for me and really just slowing down mm-hmm. and it's totally changed than before cuz yeah before it was like i'm going to scottsdale and i'm staying in this hotel and now like it's not that yeah yeah, although I would do that <laughs> for sure. All for right,. Sure.
1: Let's, let's do that. That'll be our next plan. We'll do a oh, in Scottsdale <laughs> I love it. I love it. My we actually have offices in Scottsdale. Oh office, my
2: so it would be perfect. God, I will meet it's like one of my favorite cities. I'll go. I'll meet you.
1: I love it. That would be fantastic. So (laughs) I am just so grateful to have had you on today. Effie, you are a bright light in this world. And I'm so grateful for all the work you're doing in the rare disease community to bring people together, inspire, have that light at the end of the tunnel. And I know, you know, you're not doing it alone. You're working together with amazing people um, to do this. And thank you so much. How can our listeners find you online?
2: Mm, Thank you so much, Grace. All of that right back at you. Uh, You can find me everywhere. Uh, EffieParks.com. The podcast is called Once Upon a Gene. You can download it anywhere. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. You can email me anytime, especially if you have a friend or a family member or whatever who might be entering this world. Like, Please send them my way. Don't hesitate.
1: Thank you so much, Effie, and thank you for listening. Um, this is Hit Like a Girl podcast. Check out our website for more episodes with amazing guests just like Effie.
0: <laughs> I, I did bring my tea, by the way. Oh,
2: did you? What tea did you bring? Okay, so I brought my special tea from my hometown that I buy online now because it just makes me think of home. Oh, that's amazing. It's not even my favorite tea. Because mm-hmm. it is a little too licoricey for me, but I still buy it because it's my hometown.
1: Oh, I love it! I love it! I know. I'm drinking some chamomile lavender oh, I today, love that cup. and it has like a little steep. Uh, I guess I don't know what you call it—colander or something—so that the tea doesn't get in your mouth, obviously. But yeah, a little steeper thing. Garden. Yeah, steeper. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a steeper. Like a That's a really cute cup. Thank you. I like, I like your cup too. Once Thanks. upon a gene. I need one of those. Uh, and there's a backside. I'll send oh, you one. That is, oh, that is this so good. Is a great cup,
2: and you can just put your whole hand in there. So when you need your coffee, like you don't, you just drink it. That's awesome. I'll send you one. Cheers to that.
1: Like a girl media is more than a media network. It's a community. We want to meet you and amplify your voice and the voices of outstanding women innovating in healthcare. Interested in starting your own podcast or hosting an event near you? Connect with us online or in person. We're here to support and empower you.